A Song of Ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And on page nine, we're reading from Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, if they did not escape when we refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Anita. Also, a warm welcome to the Morley Johns who are here as well, and Teddy Morley John. Wonderful to have you with us. Congratulations, Benabex. Let me pray for them and then for our time together. Father, we praise you for the wonderful gift of new life. We thank you for our growing family here at 4pm, for the blessing of children. We thank you for Teddy. Uh, we thank you that we can welcome him here into our midst. Uh, we pray, Father, for him now, that by your spirit, even in these young years, that you might be drawing him to yourself, that he might not know a day where he doesn't know your goodness to him in the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray for us now as we look to your word, as we think about this theme of disappointment with church, uh, the potential that it might have to stir up feelings uh, within us, potential past hurts, 
and some pain. We pray that as we do this, we might be so captured by a sense of the goodness of what you have done in drawing a people to yourself, the precious nature of the church to your son, the Lord Jesus, and that we might be encouraged in heart and uh, take away things in which we can seek to follow you faithfully as a community together. To that end, please help me in Jesus' name. Amen. Great to be here this afternoon. Great to look at this theme together. But as just mentioned in the prayer, it is a theme which, for the many different people here, may stir different things for us. We've titled this series, First Aid to Discipleship. As Justin said last week, First Aid to Discipleship assumes that you want to be a follower of Jesus. We recognise that not everyone here might be that, but as we're looking at this topic today, it assumes that you want to be a follower of Jesus. It assumes that you want to learn from him, to love him, and to live for him. But we recognise how easily that can get derailed. And so our theme, First Aid to Discipleship, is seeking to address those things which might derail our discipleship. And church is disappointing is one of those themes. We can stumble over this theme and, as Justin said last week, we can fall over and bleed faith. And so as we, as we look at this theme this afternoon, just recognise that it might stir up feelings for you as I prepared it. It stirred up feelings for me. Um, but I hope to encourage you as well to see the glorious picture of what God is doing in drawing a people to himself and making it beautiful in Christ. But there's limits to what we can look at this afternoon. See, church can be disappointing at a broad level in the sense that as we look at the church throughout history, perhaps its treatment of certain groups, some of the abuses at the hands of those whom are meant to care for others, that can be a real stumbling block for us. And I just want to recognise that. At that big level, the church can be disappointing. More than that, it can be a really troubling thing for you. But we're not so much looking at that broad theme uh, tonight. There is some great material out there to just help you wrestle with that. One being John Dixon, who is speaking in the next few weeks, is about to release a book called Bullies and Saints. Uh, it's looking at why the church is better but worse than we could ever imagine, and it wrestles with those real themes. So I just want to recognise that they are real themes for people and real stumbling blocks, um, but we're limiting today to our own experience at a more local level of why church might be disappointing and how that could potentially derail our discipleship. But first, as we think about this, we want to address the wound. Church is disappointing. See, we each have, don't we, ideals of what we think church should be, what the community should be for us, hopes and dreams of what it could be like. And the reality is often it's disappointing. And so as we explore this theme, it's important for us to triage, well, what are some of the reasons that we might find it disappointing? This was surprisingly easy to write, uh, this first section at least. 
I only came up with four, but it's certainly not exhaustive. But there are multiple answers to this question, but the, fir the first might be church is disappointing because it, it bores me. This can range from a, a tedium of your experience, monotony of week in, week out, or it can actually go to chronic frustration. And, and the reason church might bore you could be a whole variety of reasons. It might be that your experience of the service itself bores you, perhaps the strangeness of, in the 21st century, coming and, and sitting under a word and a monologue. If you think about it, you know, what other context is there a monologue? It's stand-up comedy, and they're much funnier than me. And so it's, it's a strange thing. And so church can be a bore to us, and that's legitimate. Now, it isn't true for everyone. It isn't true every week. But we've all probably felt it at some point, and it's best to name. Or perhaps, as you look back on previous experiences, it just doesn't line up with what you're currently experiencing. Maybe churches that you've been in at the past, and you, and you felt at that time, you felt far more affected, far more uh, engaged, as it were, by your mind and your affections. And at the moment, you just feel a little bored or a little dull. See, the effect of boredom can be numbing. And ultimately, that can be destructive and derail our discipleship. Like a frog in boiling water brought to boil, it can just kind of slowly and passively, without being aware of it, be a killer to our faith. So it is significant. But as we look at each of these reasons why church might be disappointing, we need, we need to just step back at each point and check our own expectations in that because there is legitimate reasons that church may be boring. We can do the right things in a dull way. We should always aspire for beauty, joy and energy and we want to be affected and moved. But the reality is also sometimes our expectations are mismatched. It may be that we don't find the right kinds of things interesting. Or it may be that we don't recognise the limits that God has put on uh, or given us in terms of our skills and gifts and resources. So church can be disappointing, but it's important to keep that in check. The second one is that church makes me uncomfortable. Churches are certifiably uncomfortable all the time. Because if you think about it, what other context brings people together with different tastes, political views, theological views, personalities, temperaments, cultural backgrounds? We all whack together. And so inevitably, at some point, we're going to feel uncomfortable. It's a wonder that it even works sometimes, really. Work of the spirit. And it can make us uncomfortable. And this is hard for us often because particularly our, our default kind of ethic at the moment is to, to in, particularly in a consumer society, is to, to, to maximise comfort and to minimise anything that we find hard or uncomfortable or makes us feel awkward. And it seems that when we walk through the doors on a Sunday or engage in shared life together, we kind of dial up that awkward factor and it's uncomfortable for us. And that can mean that it's disappointing. 
C.S. Lewis once said, I don't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Church at points will be uncomfortable. And if it were comfortable, well, something might be wrong with that picture. So secondly, we need to check our expectations. Recognise that often we want to maximise our comfort and minimise the inconvenience and, and the uncomfortable nature of church might lead to us to, to feel disappointed, but actually we need to look at those things. Thirdly, another reason church can be disappointing is that church exhausts me. And I think this is one that's real for us, isn't it? And it can be felt in a number of ways. Perhaps you're tired from service, you've thrown your lot in over the past few years and, and you can feel unappreciated, sidelined, dispensable or disillusioned. It's a reality I think for, for many of us might feel that way. Or perhaps just the thought of turning up can be exhausting, engaging with people, fronting up to people as you meet when you feel like a mess can be exhausting. Everyone else might seem upbeat, but on the inside, you might feel like you've got nothing. Or it may be that people exhaust you. It's much easier to retreat. No eyeballing required, no need to feign interest, no bad breath to contend with, no need to bear with one another's burdens. And if we're honest, we've probably all experienced one of those things. Church, churches are exhausting places. There are legitimate reasons that church is exhausting. And there are moments and seasons where we need to recognise our own limits and to pull back, to recognise perhaps the age and stage of where we're at or the responsibilities that we have so that we can be more attuned to our limits. But also, too, we, we should just manage our expectations there as well, or check them. See, it may be that we are thinking too independently. See, to be part of a church, to live the flourishing life Jesus presents to us, is the picture of being interdependent. This means that churches at times will be messy and exhausting, but the promise is that it's good. God makes messy things beautiful, in his own time. So that's the third reason that we might find church disappointing is that it's exhausting. And the final reason for disappointment is more substantial and the wounds probably far deeper. Church has hurt me. And this might range from an unkind comment from someone else. It might come from feeling ignored or seriously being let down by someone you trusted, all the way through to being abused by someone within the church. Let me say up front that if you have experienced abuse or significant hurt through a serious breach of trust, it's entirely understandable that church is disappointing and it's entirely understandable that you might be feeling like you just wanna give up on it all. It's courageous that you're here and there are wounds that will need more than first aid. They will need time, 
trust, professional help, and justice. This is particularly pertinent to me. A lot of you know over the last year that we've been in, involved in going public about an experience in a church in England that we had where there was a serious breach of trust and treatment of the flock. It hurts. However, many of us experienced hurt at that lower level as well, and it's no less significant. Perhaps you've been hurt by poor church leadership, negligence, all the way to bullying, or perhaps a, a flippant or insensitive comment from leadership, from me even, has, has hurt you, or from someone else. And if that is the case, you know, I would warmly ask for your, your forgiveness, but it's entirely possible and, and likely that we will inevitably hurt one another, and that can be a disappointment. Or perhaps the hurt is, is slightly different. Perhaps it's a hurt that comes from the disappointment with community. Perhaps you feel isolated or not let in, maybe used and spat out. Church is something that is meant to be so good, but it can sting so bad. But again, even here, we need to just be aware to check our expectations. See, church is a hospital for sinners. It's a community of those who fall short and who are broken. Yes, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit being changed into Jesus' likeness, but that work is, is slow. This side of the new creation, we will inevitably rub each other up the wrong way. We'll be thoughtless, insensitive, and slow to change. It may be that we need a healthy realism, realism about how slow change is. Disappointment is understandable. There's many legitimate causes. We've looked at what we should perhaps be careful to check our expectations, but the realities for us is that there are many reasons we can legitimately feel disappointed with church. And the risk is that this wound can have the potential to derail our discipleship. So what first aid can we apply so that it will not? Well, we've got three things. Just to remind us, sorry, remember first aid is administered immediately at the accident. There's longer term things, but I just want to address a few things to keep in mind to lift our lives in the midst of disappointment. Firstly, it's important to remember that you're not alone. And this is not new. If you've ever read the New Testament, you'll see that there is a few golden moments, but their exceptions are not the rule. Most of the letters of the New Testament are written to really, really messy churches. Eugene Peterson, in his writings on the book of Revelation, Justin gave me this quote, speaks of the churches this way. He says, is it, impo it is impossible among people familiar with, the with ancient Israel and the early church to glamorize communities of faith. Churches are characteristically poor, often sordid, and frequently faithless. It is in this environment that God chooses to show the Christ in the splendid form of the Son of Man. 
And he goes on. But this procedure should be of no surprise to us by now. The site of his birth, Jesus, was a manger and the place of his coronation was a cross. God deliberately set Jesus among the common and the flawed, the historical situation just as it was. Jesus is never known in any other context. The revelation of Christ is not embarrassed or compromised by association with the church. New Testament church and indeed our churches are a mess, but we're God's mess. We're not alone. There's some comfort in that. Secondly, we need to remember what church is, but also whose church is. What church is, but also whose church is. What what is church? Well, at its heart, and bear with me here for a second, at its heart, church is a gathering. In the Old Testament, there's a scene at Mount Sinai, where God assembles his people, he's redeemed them, he's saved them from slavery in Egypt, he's called his people together, and they're at Mount Sinai, and he there is going to address his people, or Moses in particular, with his word. So he assembles the people at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God. This is kind of first picture, and it becomes a bit of a prototype about what is happening when we meet together. God uniquely assembles a people around himself and then he speaks to them through his word and he commissions them as his people. And in our reading today, the writer looks back at this event in Mount Sinai as a prototype for church. And if you look at the word church in in the New Testament, frequently it's that word assembly, which is picking up on that picture of the Old Testament. So at the heart of meeting as a church is assembling as God's people. Well, why is it significant? Well, God always assembles his people, he's present with them, and he speaks with them. And we see this in our reading today, but it's not the same picture as at Mount Sinai but rather we see a time-bound expression in the place of church. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. The church is not just a rehearsal of what happened at Mount Sinai. Actually, when we meet together, it's it's a picture of what's happening in the heavenlies. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 describes us as seated with God, his Son, in heaven. And so we are part of the church universal, seated in the heavenlies with Christ. But yet, when we assemble, we are a local expression of that massive reality. So when we assemble, we're like an outpost in space and time of this huge spiritual reality. 
The other night, a few of us were talking about the Australian Embassy in, in Paris. It's designed by Harry Seidler. This is all news to me the other night. But an embassy is the official office of one country in another. It's a little outpost, a little picture of Australia in the midst of another country. And when we gather as a church, we're a little picture of what God is doing in that broader scene, in drawing a people to himself. And that means that when we meet together, it might feel weak and disappointing, but it's a spiritual reality of, of something much greater that is happening. It's hugely significant. And if we grasp a sense of that, we might be able to lift our eyes above the disappointment. Church is a gathering, but secondly, we must remember whose we are. And this is a beautiful picture. I love this. We picked up on this in the second song. See, ultimately, whose are we? We're, we're the bride of Christ. That's what the church is. In one of the final passages of the Bible, the elderly apostle John gives a glimpse of the future, a day when God will recreate the cosmos and God's people will enjoy him forever. And it's an amazing picture. And this is how he speaks of the church in that picture. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, that is a church coming down out from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The Apostle John is saying that the, the beautiful bride here is the church. And whose bride? Well, we've seen that that, that that is the Lord Jesus. And in Revelation 19, he says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb, Jesus, has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. The church is described as the bride of Christ. And it's a precious picture that we have here of how committed Jesus is to his church. He marries it. In fact, marriage is a picture of that greater reality. That's how much he cares for every member of the church. It means that church is, to him, hugely precious. So while we may look around and feel weak and disappointing, Christ cherishes his bride, the church. Jesus loves his messy church. We must remember whose we are. And if it's that precious to him, well, it should be precious to us also. And thirdly and finally, the church is the people of God. Who is the church? The New Testament has lots of images about what the church is, describing it as the people of God. It speaks about it as a family, as a household, as a temple, as a vine and branches. But one of the helpful images also is that of a body. And it's helpful for demonstrating our need of one another. We're interdependent. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul identifies a church as a body whose head is Christ. And one of the implications of that is that we're all different members and we all need each other and we're all needed. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts come from one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, 
it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And it's a beautiful picture here of, of who the church is. We, we are a body. Each member is needed in order for it to flourish. Each member, we're told, is, is gifted by the Spirit so that we can make this body grow and flourish and be as Christ intended it to be. That means that, that we are needy of others, but that others need us. And that's everyone here. When you are not present, part of the body is missing. And, and what's beautiful about this picture is that there's no part of the body that you can say we are without need of. And this includes even the smallest members of our family. What I love in hearing the babies cry is that they're helpfully reminding us they're a wonderful part of this community because God uses them to teach us what faithful interdependence looks like. Jesus often speaks about the children as those who are models to us of what the faithful look like. We need each other, even the smallest members, and we're needy to each other. He goes on, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So the reality is there that God has placed us as part of this church, Garrison 4pm. We need each other to flourish. Garrison 4pm is vital for you and you are vital for Garrison 4pm. And it's such a, a beautiful picture to see the way in which every member here serves to contribute to the flourishing of the body. You know, we're, we're an extraordinarily gifted congregation and we each bring a wide variety of gifts, but yet we seek to use those to build one another up. Everything that happens here happens because people are playing their parts in significant ways and it's such an encouragement to me and it's a beauty to watch. Well, to close, church can be disappointing there are legitimate reasons for that. We've, we've sought to check our expectations in the midst of that, but yet we've sought to lift our eyes up to see how significant it is what God is doing in assembling a people together. It's a picture of the heavenly reality in a local form, even though we might feel weak and disappointing. It's a picture of how dear the church is to Christ. The church is his bride. He marries it. And yet we get a picture too of why we need each other because we're each members of a body brought together to build it up to full health and maturity. Knowing these things will help us lift our eyes above the disappointments. But it also requires us to hopefully and, and stir us to throw ourselves in to see how significant, precious, and needed you are in this context, and to throw yourself in. And there's three things that I think we can do by way of thinking of applying this. And they're not profound, but they're important. Firstly, show up. It is where God is present with his people. When God assembles his people, He's with them in a unique way as he addresses us together through his word 
And as we will tonight partake in the meal that he left us, he feeds us by faith. It's a significant thing that we do together when we come together. In one sense, it's a high point of the week because our hearts are re-collaborated around him and we're sent out to love and serve the Lord throughout the week. In this sense, we, we actually witness to our friends by prioritising meeting together as his body. And so if you notice someone isn't here and, and this is a strange season and there's very good reasons not to be here with COVID-19, I recognise that. But if you notice that someone isn't here, follow them up. Let them know that you, you need them and that they need the church community also. But that's the first thing, to show up, to see the significance of what we are doing when we meet together. Secondly is try and muck in to community. As we've seen, the picture of church is a body where each member is needed in order to make the body flourish. There are so many gifts here and everyone has one and it's a way that we can contribute to the life of our church. So consider how you might serve us as a community. It might be here on a Sunday, but church is much more than that, isn't it? It's an organism, it's relationships, it's a community. Think about how you could take initiative in following one another up and being each other's champion to see how they're going in Christ and how you can pray for them and spur each other on and to meet real practical needs with one another. The Apostle Paul says, let's outdo one another in love. And finally, we can give. Seems a strange place to land, but this is a community where we have skin in the game. And a way in which we express that in the New Testament is to contribute financially. The principle given in the New Testament is to give generously, and that will look like different things to each of us. But there's a sense in which, by contributing to the work of the gospel and seeing the church flourish, we've got skin in the game as well. We need to recognise that we're not independent, we're interdependent that Christ has called us together. This is a hugely significant thing. The church is precious to Christ, should be precious to us, and that we're part of a body. We're both needed and needy. There are so many reasons to be disappointed with church, and I'm not standing here trying to deny them. I may even be one of the reasons for them. I'm not saying that it's never appropriate to leave a church, I think there's appropriate ways to do that but it's not inappropriate to kind of have times and seasons or it might be that wounds take longer to heal and to overcome and so we need to stage and faithfully and carefully and sensitively help one another there but just to encourage you to show up to muck in and to give generously church is messy but we are god's mess and God is committed to making messy things beautiful. And that's a wonderful picture we have. Emma's going to come up now and pray for us in response.